because I knew I there were so many more women that mm -hmm. I knew firsthand were battling similar issues that this bill would help change their life. And maybe, maybe had the JAX Act been around in 2018, maybe I wouldn't have gone homeless or maybe all of those things would not have happened to me. My name is Andrew Bice. I spent the last eight years riding a swell as a special warfare combatant crewman. I've had moments where I felt like I've been riding on tops of waves and others where I feel pinned to the ocean floor under the whitewash. I've held many titles in my life. Son, husband, father, operator. Join me as I venture into a whole new role. This time, as a civvy. Welcome to Civvies, a podcast by MetroStar. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of Civvies. I have a very special guest with me, Jacqueline Scott, otherwise known as Jax. Um, reading into your story and what you've done and where you've been and where you continue to go, um, it was you're someone I had to talk to. Um, so, Jax, thanks for taking the time to be here, and I'm excited to see what unfolds. I'm excited to be here. Thank you, Andrew, for having me on the show. Awesome. awesome. Yeah, and usually I kind of start with, you know, military. Before we get into the JAX Act and all the other things you're getting involved in, um, I usually kind of start with the linear trans transgression, right? So we'll kind of mm -hmm. start with your time in service and what you did there. Yeah. And then we'll just kind of, we'll take her down this journey. Yeah. So we'll look at the 10,000 foot view so we don't, you know, talk because we could talk on that for an hour. So joined the military in 2004, initially joined as actually a role called resource management, <laughs> did that for like four years. That was interesting. And then I transitioned into, in 2008, I transitioned into information technology. And it was right around, I did that for a couple of years and I was really not enjoying my life. I was in the G6 and this opportunity came out right around 2010 where my life kind of transformed and it was called the cultural support team. And it was a program at that time that had really never happened before in the military. And it was the intent of the program was to train women up to work side by side with special forces operators. I mean, they even just to paint a picture for you. They did a recruiting poster and the poster was, it literally said, be part of history. Like they were, the call to action was for all women, regardless of MOS and where you were, if you were in a conventional or if you were under the special operations command. So there was there a need was what was the need for the CSTs? And then was there also another selection process that went along with that as well? There's. Yeah. So this, uh, the reason that just so everybody can kind of get another, like painting the picture in 2010, we were still in the middle of the war in Afghanistan. The, what did we call it? Uh, Cause it changed twice. That was enduring freedom. I think at that point in time. So enduring freedom was happening and we were realizing within the special operations command that the intelligence picture was lacking. And the primary reason that that was lacking is because the male operators could not speak to the women and children. And so McChrystal, General McChrystal at the time was like, hey, I've got this idea. Why don't we train up these women yeah. and send them out as two-man teams to embed with the special forces units that are called ODAs and then work with that team to get the information off the women and children, the high level of what we were supposed to be doing. And it was extremely successful. But what was really unique is this was the first time anything like this had ever happened. Women weren't even allowed to be in combat roles at the time. So that I think that didn't even happen until what, 2015 or 16 that it, it congressionally got approved. And we were part of the first women that formally went through the program. 
And it was a surreal experience. I did two combat rotations during that time. And then when I came back, I I stayed with the special forces community as I did IT, but I mostly stayed in the Intel community. Mm -hmm. And then from that, I branched into this branch called electronic warfare as a warrant officer and still stayed in the, I stayed in the SF community until about two years ago. And then I did a deployment with them in 2019, supporting them in uh, Atlantic Resolve, which is in Europe and helped with cybersecurity operations. Super sexy. (laughs) Not as sexy as doing actual combat ops. Just as important though. And even probably more so important because of the asymmetric warfare that we're seeing now in the battle space, because we are moving away from girl warfare. That's another topic, Mm -hmm. but yeah. And then fast forward and and I serve today in the reserves, um, very much like that part-time soldier helping the reserves with recruiting that new generation of recruits that we're not able to reach right now with our old ways of recruiting. I'm helping the army reserve with developing a program called the influencer program. So like people like you, for example, that have followers, what we're doing is you're not a recruiter, but maybe you have a unique skill such as me as like cyber where you help recruit people based on your following, your credibility within that space, but you're not a recruiter. So then you are selected, right? You in around... I guess three, I don't know how it started, but you yeah. get, they say, Hey, we need women to yeah. fill this role. It's vital. We need it. So that's badass. That was first recognized. Right. Otherwise, you know, where would the progress have been? Right. Especially with, with that war. And, uh, so after they're like, Hey, would you like to, to try out for this program? Or you saw it and was like, that's what I want to do. What sparked that fire to like, this is what I'm going to go for. So at that time I was extremely fit i was like sponsored athlete really really fit sponsored sponsored by the military used to ski and shoot for the military that's another that's cool (laughs) i don't know how you do that but that's awesome yeah it was really awesome so really in shape but so everybody knew me i was in the colorado guard at the time and everybody everybody knew me they were like oh my gosh that so when this flyer came out they're like oh my gosh jacks needs to do this so actually it was a chaplain who i knew he was a I think a lieutenant at the time, older lieutenant comes to me and goes, I just saw this flyer. You need to try out for that. That's how it all transpired. And I was like, Oh my gosh. And I was the only one in the Colorado guard woman in the entire Colorado guard that was trying out for this. There were other women that actually showed up. I think we had 20 or 30 in our, our initial tryout class. So you do a paper interview, Mm -hmm. as you're probably aware of, like you're, you're submitting all your paperwork, why you should be there. And then you have to go and do a, um, a math and science test. It's weird. Math, English, and science test. Yeah, I was like, where did this come from? Just in case you get asked some arithmetic while yeah. you're out there or something. I had I like, st- it was like, your ASVAB's this, but you, I had to literally go to one of those proctor stations, take the test to make sure I had this like certain level of like math. Yeah. Anyway, aptitude test. <laughs> and then, <laughs> I thank God I passed that. Yeah, good job. And there were a lot, there were so many women that tried out for the paper interview that did not get selected. So you get selected, then they flew us to Fort Bragg. And then we went to um, camp. What is it? Camp. Uh, what is the camp out there? Not McCoy. Everybody's listening to this will know. It's the one where they do the SF selection, SFQ course and everything. It'll probably come to me a little later. It's like a 45 minute drive off of Bragg. So we did two week selection and it was 
And I say similar, it was a similar selection to what the males go through, but there's only so much they can do in two weeks. Yeah. But they really condensed it in, you know, you're not sleeping, you're doing psychological evaluations, very, various different physical tests, as well as team tests to see like how you operate under a stressful environment. Yeah. And there were women that were cut from that too. Mm -hmm. And then after you were selected, if you made the cut, you then went through between two to three months of cultural training. Yeah. Because we needed to make sure that we understood that culture that we were going into. And so we did language training, cultural sensitivity training, combatives training. Some women went through SEER, like all of this stuff prior to us deploying out. And then women were even cut during that phase. And so if you made it through all of that, then what would happen is you got partnered with another woman. Usually it was an officer and CO environment. And then you would get an interpreter, usually a U.S. interpreter that spoke Dari or Pashto. And then you would be well, literally, I was my me and my partner were just heloed into a site with our like tough boxes, as you know, just dropped. <laughs> and then the helo flies off. And then there's these team guys standing yeah. around you and you're like, what's up? Like, hey, we're here. <laughs> like, did I mean, I, I hope they knew you guys were coming. They're like, all right. Sort of. They yeah. were not happy. Right. They were most of them. Most of the units, because I worked with seven different ODAs. Unfortunately, most of them did not want us there. Mm -hmm. And that was just because as I said, we were the first group that went through. So we right. were paving the way for a lot of these women. And I, th I know that it changed along the way. And I know that a lot of the teams started getting like, they started seeing what our worth was because we would be on a mission and we would help you the mission overall success by 30 to 50%. Right. Like it was wild how successful the mission was be just because you had a woman. An example of this, because I wrote, I actually wrote a white paper about this and I talked to a CST who was on a mission. They uh, they were with the Rangers. They flew in. They were trying to find a weapons cache. Long story short, they couldn't find the weapons cache within the area that they thought it was supposed to be based on their intel. Yeah. Well, the woman, the CST, was speaking to the women there, and then found out that it wasn't in that in that compound. It was actually a village over or a compound down down the way. Well, long story short, instead of them getting back in the helo and flying out and then having to do another mission, yeah, they were able not only to save lives and save money but they found the weapons cache because it, they drove down the road or they did a movement down the road within the same time frame of that operation, found the weapons cache, found the individual that they were going after, and then they flew out. That would have never happened had they not had a CST on the operation. Yeah, I mean, okay, so <laughs> I can see kind of the hesitation as far as, you know, anyone new getting into the space, right? As far as like, um, you got this tight-knit group of guys, you know, obviously it's mission critical though, right? So you know, after over time, when you have stuff like that, where it's like, Hey, we're proving ourselves. We're here for a reason. I think, I mean, I'm hoping like least barriers dropped a little bit or a little more accepting. Yeah. Maybe that's not the case, but, um, you know, a testament just to that story alone, I think is, is awesome, you know, just for what y'all yeah. did. So that's, that's great. <laughs> and I think too, it just takes, and we've seen this, like SF was established, in what 1982 or 1983 was when the branch was officially established as a new branch within the military. And you, it was established by a male, very alpha males. And now you're bringing in women. How many years later is that? Do math really quick, almost 30, 40 years later. Now you're trying to say, okay, great. This is how you guys have been constructed. This is how you've been working extremely well for all of these years. Now let's go ahead and drop a couple women into that environment. 
and you're going to have, there's going to be challenges. There was, there was definitely, you know, situational things that happened that a lot of people frowned upon. But in my opinion, I think that the mission was more successful regardless of all of those other issues on this, uh, that were, that happened in the background. Mm -hmm. And it was sad because when we did the withdrawal out of Afghanistan, that's when they dissolved the program. But up to that point, it was still operating. Most of the time it was go, it was Ranger operations because you had Ranger and you had SF missions is what we called it. And what that meant is you had like village stability operations being with SF and then Rangers was mostly direct action. Now, someone like myself, I did village stability and I did direct action because I was on an SF team that was specifically, that was what they were supposed to do. So I think that there was just a lot of resistance because it was such a new program. And a lot of these guys, it wasn't that they, I truly believe, it's not that they didn't want us there because they didn't like us or anything like that. They were just used to a certain way. And a lot of people don't like to have change. And in the SF community, there's a saying that assessment never ends. So we're always being assessed. We're always being viewed and monitored and seeing how our performance is. And I think that given enough time and showing what our worth was, I think at that point in time, the SF community, the special operations community started to see, okay, this is a worthy program. Yeah. And these, there were team guys that were on like maybe their second or third deployment and they had worked with CSTs and they were requesting that support. They were requesting that capability because right. it's like having an EOD on your team. Exactly. You know what they do. You know their credibility. Same with CA, same with PSYOPs, but they've been around for, those are all enablers. We were simply an enabler we were just a new concept of enabler that just took a little bit longer for individuals and you know odas to start understanding okay this is how we utilize this element this this enabler that we have i mean it makes sense even to your point where you just said where hey you got a group of you know you got this team that goes out for a specific mission well of course they're going to have uh you know medics on board they're gonna have eod's you know whatever the situation arises right they're going to have to address that let's say they didn't have somebody an expert in one of those fields and you have a capability gap and then something catastrophic could happen essentially. So, you know, having that additional insight and then, um, your ability to, you know, talk with the local culture there for Intel. And then that's Intel is not sometimes, you know, it's not viewed as like sexy, right. It's Mm -hmm. like, or is an Intel guy going to go kick down a door and like, but it is absolutely necessity for a mission to go and happen. Right. You need to know the lay of the Mm -hmm. land you're going after what are the problems so it's this giant puzzle that has to get put together right and then when you're on the ground you know to have somebody there to adding more clarity or more um you know whatever you want adding more information to this picture Mm -hmm. right they're going to paint something clear so now you can attack the right people go to the right places and then now you're uh, a more effective machine right that's that's the goal of the militaries to to um, inflict you know righteous change to to whoever we're trying to help that's the end goal right corroborating so. evidence is what I like am hearing as you're talking to. Yeah. Cause we would do that. We would go in and they would have Intel picture and then we could corroborate. And I, that word is always hard for me to say, but it's just getting that additional information to verify the data that you already have mm-hmm. and yeah. having us on, on ground, we could do that. Cause those women, I was surprised at how much information I could get off of the, the women and the children because sometimes they're just mad at their significant other and they're like, I'm just going to tell you everything you want to hear. Take the guy away. Yeah, get him out of here. <laughs> yes. Whatever it is, just it is. whatever you need to know. You, yeah. uh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, it's very interesting. That is wild. Yeah. And to think about, um, you know, the stories that you've 
very the experiences that you've had and then the stories you can tell just from from that those experiences is you know most people and can't even comprehend it right as far as um the idea of women too is you know maybe like you know people are cut differently right so no matter if you're a boy or a girl whatever if you have a drive you're going to go after something right and to some people they don't have the, the drive to join the military or be put in very high stress situations um you know yeah. obviously <laughs> obviously you were ready for that and you you answered the call um i think that's a testament too to you and and you know those who joined you on the cst mm-hmm. team and and went out there and put themselves in harm's way so um i think that's huge and that's awesome and I, hopefully it gets it's recognized right after action reports from yeah. what was done i hope it's seen as like a value add especially for that uh situation too you know it's like women and children are you know this huge um catalyst as far as change for mm-hmm. the right change in the right direction like why not have you there to yeah to get that information needed um so then okay so now let's where you're at the you're at the cst teams and then you're doing your stuff so then let's say how long were you doing that for i as a cst operating i did it for two tours so from 2012 a year and a half roughly i did two tours back to back while i was out there so cst two and three is what we call it we have these number systems yeah <laughs> okay so after so then after number three you get where's where's your next step where's the next journey right after yeah so when i left it was I came back and then I was a liaison for the program for around six to eight months, if I remember correctly. And then it was like 2013 or 14. I was like, okay, I need a mental health break. And so I actually packed a bag and spent three to four months traveling in Asia by myself. I had some friends that like popped in and out, (laughs) but I, I didn't realize at the time that it was called PTS and that I had a lot of trauma that I was working through, uh-huh. but I was like drinking a lot. I, a friend of mine who just retired as Sergeant major just two weeks ago, I will never, I told him, I'm like, I will never forget what you did for me. He called me. I remember being in a cafe in Indonesia, like Southern part of Indonesia. And I would check my email and I think it was either email or one of the chats or something like WhatsApp. I remember him going, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, just hanging out. And he's like, no, you're just, he did. And he was never, he was like, hey, you need help. Like he never did anything like that. He was just like, if you come back, I will give you a job at the unit. And I was, I was an E6 at the time and I was just done with the military. I wanted to get out. Yeah. And he's like, I'll give you a full-time job. You've got like another year, six months to a year before you're out of the military. Just come back. I'll put you on orders and we'll figure it out. And I didn't really have anything at the time. I didn't have major options. I really was like, I'm done. I'm going to get out of the military. So I flew back like a week or two later and I started the job and I was like, my trajectory was to get out of the military. I was drinking a lot at the time. When I say a lot, like a case of beer at night, it was Mm -hmm. bad. And I then was approached by a warrant officer and they was like, they said, Hey, there's this new branch that's getting stood up. It's called electronic warfare we have a slot in the state for a warrant officer. Do you want to go through the program? And it took me like three months to decide. Yeah. I was like, I'll get back to you. I'll let you know. But I'm so glad I did that because, because I accepted that call and was like, okay, I'll go through this program. It took me, I went through the one week in a month program. It was like a year and a half of being a warrant officer candidate. 
that is what led me to go back into SF because 19th group out of Utah had an EW warrant slot. And so they picked me up after, as soon as I graduated, I was pulled into the Utah National Guard. And then the rest is history. I, I was right back into the SF community again. And then I started doing these mini deployments with them here and there. And it was mostly doing cybersecurity. And that's kind of how I broke into cybersecurity is from that, even though I was an EW officer, but weird. <laughs> so you, okay. So then you're, so you're dealing with stuff internally. You don't really see it at the time. You're hitting the bottle or whatever. And then you're, you're essentially detached from, were you like trying to escape maybe the experiences or running from yourself, you think? Maybe subconsciously. I think for me though, I was just hurting. Yeah. So I was probably trying to surprise because I think what we do when we drink is we, especially when you're in that place, a lot of times you drink and I just wanted to have fun. Yeah. So I think in a way I was trying to run from whatever I was feeling, but I was just also trying to find like that happiness and joy that I didn't have. But I would drink so much that it started and it didn't stop. I actually didn't stop drinking till like 2017, 18. Then I started realizing, oh, I think I have a problem. Mm -hmm. But I would start getting like very physical with people. And I wasn't, I started turning into not a happy drunk, <laughs> more of a, let's just break stuff and cause problems. Yeah. That's, that's some heavy, sh that's some heavy stuff for sure. Yeah. I um, think it's those demons that we're trying to suppress with the alcohol. Right. And then they usually tend to come out or Eventually. they tend to grow and get bigger. Yeah. Um, yeah. So then after that, so during that time you had a bad taste in your mouth from the military. Um, yeah. Cause we weren't just. To explain to you, we were not, I did not feel, this is, this is the Jack's opinion. I did not feel since it was such a new program that we were well supported. And even though, like I mentioned, I, I worked with seven different ODAs. I can't tell you how many times I had an SF guy come up face to face with me and say, you know, the reason that I joined the special forces and I'm like, and I, at this time, keep in mind, I'm like, I'm working on the compound. I'm doing electrical work. I'm trying to be part of the team. Yeah. And you have this guy that's in your face and he goes, I did it so I could grow a beard and not be around people like you. And he meant women. He wasn't just, it's not people jacks. So I try not to take stuff like that personally. You do. You're like, okay, I'm here for a mission. But when you are, another example is you're on the compound, a new ODA team comes in and they look at you and they go after they just landed and they go, you got two hours to get out of here. We have a helo picking you guys up we don't want you you know and you get told there was other times where you got told you wanted to go out on mission so bad and the team sergeant would say i'm not bringing you i need a shooter mm -hmm. and i have to already bring your friend so you don't get it come because, yeah. and you're like but i am a shooter and so i think it was those like all that trauma that had compound because i'm strong and i'm thick skin i didn't cry it wasn't anything like that but i know some cst's that it affected them differently because they, they maybe were more emotional. Regardless of how you took it, and you're still taking that in. And I think going back, I didn't realize there was so much I needed to process. And that's not even touching on, you have that, but that's not even touching on um, having to carry the dead, dead body around, like four dead bodies around on, a, on an op because we were receiving so much fire, the helicopters couldn't come in and pick up any of the, the bodies. Or seeing your your buddy get 
shot or and all these other things that then are also associated with going into combat that I did not process because we didn't have a support group when we came back. And when mm-hmm. I redeployed, I redeployed by myself. I had one other person. She went home. I stayed on all by myself. I didn't redeploy with my team. And that was also hard because I was completely by myself trying to process all this information. And I think naturally in the military, we, I think we, we might be doing better at this and helping soldiers with that mental health piece. But I didn't know anything better than working out, which I was doing, but then on the weekends I would hit the bottle Mm -hmm. and then it just got, that's where I started to feel relief or joy or whatever it was to try to hide some of that, that trauma. Yeah. Yeah. That's heavy. Um, you know, just because too, like you said, we'll take off, we'll take out everything else as far as like, um, you know, what comes with the territory as far as war and exposure to certain situations and then having, being like, self-worth and wanting to prove yourself and stay valid like that's a whole nother piece of the puzzle that's so important too right because now you're now you're talking about like how like now you're processing that Mm -hmm. internally and like self-worth and you know what i mean that's Mm -hmm. a tough that's a tough balance right there um that's insane honestly that's insane and then because i know too like you know for for guys who transition no matter where they're out right like as far as you got to have an outlet, right? So as far as physical or working out or physical exertion, that's a common one, right? Just because we like that, we come from that. But then guess what? That took one to two hours of the day. Yeah. Guess what? You still have, you still got plenty of time. Yeah. You know, you got to look at yourself in the mirror and deal with what's going on. Otherwise you're just going to run from yourself and you can only run for so long. Um, yeah, but that's, that's wild as hell. And as far as mental health goes and kind of, you know, the idea too for vets, like as far as what we talk about, who we talk to, there's certain things that we're not going to say because mm-hmm. we work so hard to get, to make it through selection. Right. Yeah. You know, you, you just witnessed so many people not make it through and you finally got there. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like, Hey, this is my badge of honor. I made it here. I'm not going to say something that's going to jeopardize my spot. And like, I want to be here mm-hmm. and I want to work with the team that I've, that I, this is like my family. Right. So yeah. It's tough, especially like you're afraid of losing that spot, essentially. Yeah. Okay. So, so now, um, you realized you were dealing with all this stuff. You finally get picked up in Utah, correct? Yeah. Back it back into, yeah, 519th. And then what's, where are we at right now? What's, what's. Yeah. So that was, that was an interesting time in my life for sure. So that was right around 2014, 15. And right before that, so interesting, fun fact, right before that, I was planning to move to Vegas and I just in this transition, just did warrant officer school. And I had got an opportunity to work in Vegas for a company called Adventure Combat Ops. And it was founded by a uh, Delta Force guy, and he had designed the entertainment business to be around killing zombies with real special forces operators. And the zombies were real, like actors that ran around this twenty thousand foot, like compound. <laughs> and then you had, yeah, it's hilarious. This sounds awesome. Yeah. Let's go. Dude, no. Yeah, no, it <laughs> was it was wild. It shut yeah. down due to COVID, but it was operational from like sixteen to like twenty twenty. But what he did is he got 
MARSOC guys, uh, you know, SEALs, Green Berets. And then he'd brought me in. I was the, I was the overall manager of like the, the talent and then the shows. But then I was also called Operative Jack. So I would go out and I would lead shows as well as one of the female operators. So that was my intent to go out there and help um, Travis like establish this company with all these SF guys and uh, soft guys. And I was like, okay. But right before that, I actually, because like I said, I was really, really, I was in really, really good shape. I had bilateral fasciotomy done on both my legs because I used to ski and shoot and I got compartment syndrome really bad in my legs. So I had surgery and then you're going to get a kick out of this. 12 weeks later, after I had like the fascia removed in both of my legs, I'm running six, six and a half minute miles and I'm going to pre-ranger school because I don't, I thought, <laughs> why not? Hell yeah, let's go. Yeah. So <laughs> shaved my head. Cool. GI Jane straight up. Yep. Showed up and I lasted a week before my legs blew up like elephant feet. Like I couldn't walk. Yeah. Shocker. Right. Who does that? <laughs> I, I love it. Oh, I, yeah, it was I even forged like that I was fine and blah, blah, blah. Cause you know, it's the whole, no, I'm fine. Cause I I knew mentally I was going to be fine, but physically my body broke down. So now think about it. I come out of that. I actually felt fine with how that situation went down. Cause I learned a lot about myself in a week. That was a rough, that was a rough experience, but I knew I could have, I could have made it if my body hadn't broke down. Yeah. So now I'm like, can barely walk. I need to recover from this. I'm moving to Vegas I have a shaved head. So people think some, some people actually asked me if I was a cancer patient. Like it was, it was one for shaved. just came up and str- people yes. just asked you that. Yeah. It was like, by the if way, you did have it. Well, who the hell would be yeah. like, yeah, yeah, I do. Thanks for bringing that I up. I couldn't believe if anybody's Let's listening, just- please don't walk up to people that have like short hair and just ask us. So that made me feel even worse about myself. Cause I was like, wow, this is how, so now I'm in Vegas, which is like a mini Hollywood at this time I'm with, I've uprooted my life. That was in Colorado. I've moved to Vegas. I don't know most of these people. And now I have like a shaved head and most of the women out here, there are very, uh, they're fake. That's just mm-hmm. the, that's just the energy and we're in an entertainment. So now yeah. I'm going through this like crisis time in my life of trying to figure out who am I? What am I doing here? Um, is this where I'm supposed to be? And then at the same time, I'm starting at my new unit, the 519th out of Utah. And it was probably a very tumultuous time in my life because I didn't fit in with that. Well, I, I won't say I didn't fit in, but working at that company didn't work out. In that time I was in Vegas, I decided after a year of being at that company, I left and then I started my own company, which also turned out not to be a good situation for me because I was still drinking. Mm-hmm. I still had a lot of anger issues. I started reaching out to the VA at this time for assistance with my anxiety, my depression. I wasn't getting the help that I needed. They was, had, was that, I'm going to interject. Was that the yeah. first time that the VA has been, that you reached out to the VA? Yes. That, Cause before that it had all been through the active duty side. Okay. So this was like, I'm off active duty now. I'm in the guard so, status. Okay. I'm going to the VA and not getting the help that I want, doing the traditional go to the VA, meet with them. And I was like, I was literally like, something has to give. Like, I don't know what to do. I was in a, I was extremely unhappy. I was, it's probably one of the darkest times in my life. And then right around that time, I'm still with the unit. I'm still doing drills, but it was the first, the end of 2017, first part of 2018, I 
left my business partner. We decided to go separate ways because it wasn't working out. And I, my drinking was at like a super all-time high. For mm-hmm. example, I, I was in TC at the time before I lived here. And I got so drunk one night, I guess, I, my business partner was like antagonizing me, giving me shots of whiskey, which I don't drink now for sure. <laughs> and I guess I punched him. I slugged him. And then the next thing you know, it's four in the morning and I'm just getting back to my friend's house where the next day I missed my flight and it's, it's a whole spiral thing. And that I was just like, oh my God, okay, something has to, something has to change. Yeah. So fast forward a couple months, I'm still not getting the help that I need from the VA. I'm reaching out. I, I sat down. I remember sitting down with a therapist, this guy, and I went through one of their like online, I forget what it's called, one of their portals that they have tried to get a therapist. I sat down. I remember sitting there and talking to him and I was 20 minutes in. And I was just like, this isn't going to work. You're not, you've never been in the military. You've never been in combat. And it's not a good sign when a therapist, when you're telling them what's going on and they're going, wow, like they, <laughs> whoa, this lady's got some problems. <laughs> <laughs> like it was a very, uh, thanks for the help. Yeah. I was uh. like this, I feel like I could teach that guy more than he could have taught me. Basically it was a very, it was back to, I was feeling very lost. Yeah. And then when all, all of this kind of peaked for me in 2018, because I reached a point of bad decision, bad business decisions after bad business decisions. And I had really toxic people in my life. Cause that was the energy I was putting out. And then I hit rock bottom and I lost, I, um, the only thing I had literally to my name, my some things, some items, you know, like, you know, a couch or something was a truck that I couldn't get rid of, which was another terrible, bad, de- like bad business decision. And then I was homeless and I had literally nowhere to go. And I had, thankfully, I had a, well, sort of thankfully, I had a friend that was like, come to, back to Colorado and live with me. You don't have to pay rent. You don't have to do anything. I've got your back. I move in and within less than like two to three months out of the blue, she attacks me verbally and tells me you're living this lavish life at this time i'm like hustling trying to get my business up and running i had an intel company that i was doing on the on the side and the intent of the company was to use female operators to work with organizations like triple canopy and subcontract because having female operators as we just talked about on teams helps increase overall mission success and we had landed a couple of contracts but nothing big enough for me to be like i'm i'm running my company Mm -hmm. So she attacks me and then starts asking me for money, even though she's like this wealthy woman just told me to move all the way from Vegas back to Colorado. So now I'm in this situation where I'm like, I have to move out of her house. I put everything, my bed and stuff in storage. And I have a friend in Vegas. It's like, you can now move in with me. So I'm now sleeping on the floor of a friend's house. Like this is such a terrible feeling. Yeah, it's a terrible feeling. So now I'm at her house on the floor, on a mattress in her like hallway balcony and she never asked anything. We're still friends today. She literally, truly was like, I don't want anything from you. I know you're trying to get on your feet. So then that's where I lived for the next eight to nine months, just going like, literally, this was probably like, I had not only hit bottom, but I was like, it was like one thing after another. And you know, those friends that you look around, it's just like one bad thing happens to them after another, after another. that was literally my life. It was yeah. an absolute like train wreck. And I realized it was because I wasn't getting the help that I need. Mm -hmm. And I think that if the VA had actually helped me when I needed it, 
I think a lot of those things probably wouldn't have happened to me because I would have had the tools that I have today to work through those things, to know what my worth is, to understand my value. I didn't know any of that at that time. And I think because of trauma, sometimes we negate that about ourselves and we allow people to treat us like garbage sometimes. (laughs) Yeah, that's, that is insane that you went from all everything that you went through, then being homeless, then dealing with what seems like one bad thing after another. And I think too, is like when people get stuck in these environments, um, you know, this like negative, I don't want to say these negative environments, but these environments that aren't conducive to where you want to go or put you in the right space. It's kind of, you become, you, you become a part of that Mm -hmm. ecosystem and then you're just like stuck. Then you move to the next problem, next problem versus like, Hey, like, Mm -hmm generally good people will try to help you out. Yes. And then get you to where you need to go. And it's unfortunate that the VA wasn't able to assist you in that initial step to prevent all those issues. Cause now you think about everyone else who mm-hmm. tried to go to the VA or whatever it is, they got a bad taste in their mouth from them and then they just shut it down. And then who knows what's going to come of that and where they're at now. Hopefully it doesn't escalate too much too fast. Right. But that's, you know, the importance of friends and like that community piece. Right. You know, there's, there's a lot to say to that. Um, but that's, that's wild as hell from. And that's just like the tip of the iceberg about what's happening in my life between 17 to 18. It was, it was absolutely insane. Like I, one day I'll write a book about it and be more detailed, but it was, yeah, it was insane. Like, It was regardless of I turned a corner and it would just be one thing after another. But at the same time, I'm like hustling, trying to get my company off the ground. But what I learned through that, and I'm glad that I went through that, all of these traumas in my life, because now that I finally, and actually what changed for me is I got asked to go to a veterans trip in 2018. It was this um, event. There was this famous person, can't remember his name. They were supposed to go with his family. It was a one week trip. You got a, it was a um, private airfare, like puddle jumper, private airfare in. You had two big boats of like 20, 10 people on each. It was like five-star mills, everything glamping. And then at the end, you got heloed out with a private jet out. And this guy couldn't go. So we donated to this veterans nonprofit. And I just got wind of it. And I almost said no, decided to go. I met a MARSOC guy that had his wife there and she did Reiki. And I don't know if you're familiar with Reiki at all, but that's that whole spiritual healing using your like energy and all of that to start healing your body. And that was when- Is that a lot through like breathing techniques or like it is? Yeah, like she would typically, typically they'll hover their hand over a certain body part and they'll breathe through and it'll be like energy shifts within your body to help like heal, heal. And I don't, I haven't done Reiki in years now, but yeah, I, that's, what started my healing process Yeah, because up to that point I didn't have a modality and I didn't even know what a modality was. I didn't have anything. I did meditation. I did yoga, but that wasn't doing it. Mm -hmm. It was when I got into Reiki, it opened up the doors for me to understand all about spiritual healing and mindset and all of these things. Cause it's so, I get very frustrated when people are like, just shift your mindset, but it's, you can't shift your mindset until you understand the cause of what's making the effect happen. You've got the cause and you have the effect. I was drinking a lot. I was very angry. I was um, in a lot of ways being uh, hostile when I would get drunk. But what was the cause of that? Why was that happening? And it was through energy work and um, different modalities of healing 
that allowed me to start healing some of the trauma that's in my life. And I know that the VA is starting to offer some of this. I know there is, I actually had a text on the way here that I'm going to hopefully get connected to ART, Advanced Resolution Therapy. It's another kind of spiritual meditation modality that helps you address traumas from your prior years to be able to fix that cause so the effect doesn't happen anymore. And so I've been doing years of spiritual like work on myself and that's been the biggest game changer for my life. And now I sit here before you and I can tell you I don't have any toxic friends in my life and I have um I lost my job. I got laid off a couple years ago. It was a test for me. It was the universe giving me a test. <laughs> I literally lost my job, freaked out that I was going to go homeless again, went uh -huh. through this literal cerebral like just panic. And what I learned from that experience is I didn't go into further debt. I was able to live off my savings for 10 months until I landed another job that was where I'm at today. And I love where I'm at. Mm -hmm. And I had friends that stepped up and gave me money, thousands of dollars without me even asking. And that was like a testament of how far I had come and how much I had changed my external environment because of changing my internal state of being. Yeah. And I think, you know, you just talking about um, the way that you kind of healed mentally was, uh, um, you know, I think a lot of people are going to look at different things and they'll be like, well, maybe that's not for me or maybe they're going to take a different route. Right. But I think what affects people is going to be different for each person. Right. And it's going to, whatever it is, I'm glad that there's so many different ways and different processes now for people to kind of like, Hey, like, let's look introspective. Like maybe this sounds crazy, but why not give it a mm -hmm. try? And Oh crap, this is different. Or maybe it's not good. But now I know what to go after. Maybe it's the next thing. Yeah. So I think, I think it's important for people to kind of look internally, whatever that is. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Judgment aside, like it's necessary. You know, you can only run for so long. Like I said, it'll always come out. It'll always find you. That's what I learned. Yeah. <laughs> That's insane. Yeah. So, <laughs> you got a crazy ass story. <laughs> yeah. It's wild. I look back and I'm like, wow, I have. I, and I have layers of trauma and trauma and trauma and trauma and trauma. That's the reason I, that's the reason I had the friends I had. That's mm -hmm. the reason I had the life I had. That's the reason, you know, a lot of things were happening and I had to take ownership. I also had a, like, I also dated terrible people and I, that, that reality check hit me in around 19 to 2020. And I'm like, that was, that was a hard one for me because I had to stop and go, okay. But I was finally, I think had so much self-awareness that I was able to stop and be like, okay, done all this work. And I keep dating these terrible people yeah. in one way or another. I've dated narcissist. I've dated complete sociopath. That's another wild story. All right. Yeah. Here we go. Wild, the dating life of Jacks. Let's yeah. see. But that was where I was like, okay, I'm the, I'm the factor of this. I'm the one that's drawing these people in. And that was something that was like, oof. But now I draw in amazing people regardless. And I think there's like, there's definitely a piece in my being. I'm not right where I want to be. I think we always have work to do, but I am so much happier than I ever was in my life. And I just, I'm still in this constant space of trying to find um, gratitude and peace where I'm at right now. And I'm having to learn to not focus so much on that future state because I used to constantly be in, I don't, I don't like where I'm at right now. So I want to be there, but then I would get there and realize I was still, that doesn't make you happier getting the nice job, getting the nice car. Like 
Yeah. yeah. And finding that like peace now. And that's probably, that's probably one of the harder things with the, cause of the world that we live in, you know, and we live in this constant space of always like the hustle life, yeah, hustle mentality, especially here in DC. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause another thing too, is like people get out of the military and they have a hard time connecting back in or don't have the same friend group. So they then, you know, yeah. they're like, Hey, screw it all. I'm not, I'm over it. I'm just going to go find myself out in the middle of nowhere. I'll live in a shack somewhere or something. And yeah, you that's do it. see that's that. All I need. Yeah. So it's wild. So then you have all these, cra- you have the craziest life, obviously, uh, doing some wild stuff. So then, um, let's talk about, let's get into, you know, we talked about the VA and kind of the steps there. Let's start getting into the Jacks Act and how that came to light and what, where is it at now? And, you know, where's it going to be? Yeah. So the Jacks Act, I'll explain what the Jacks Act is a high level and then explain kind of how it happened. Yeah. So the Jacks Act is designed to focus on the 310 CSTs, cultural support team females that were part of the program, went through the program, were selected and deployed as a CST. So we, we went through the list, found there were about 310 women. And this act will provide them a, what we call as a combat identifier, which is basically a identifier that will go into their military records that when they go to the VA, the VA will see, okay, this is a female that was in combat. And I know that if you like listeners right now are like, well, why is that so important? It's because right now, when you look at our DD-214s or any of our medical records, unless you put the pieces of the puzzle together, which it seems like the VA lacks some area of common sense because maybe they don't understand that, oh, this they were a cultural support team, they were deployed, they probably were in combat. Instead, it's they look at me, for example, and they go, okay, oh, you're a, you're electronic warfare warrant officer. You probably didn't go to, de- you probably didn't deploy. And that's literally how it will end. So right now what's happening is the VA is they, they have our narrative. They get, they have the power to create our narrative when we walk in. So when we start to tell our stories of our injuries, we're discounted and we're marginalized. And so what this bill will do will give us the power back to walk in and go, Hey, I've got this combat identifier in my records. That means that I likely have these predisposing conditions of like having a TBI or a PTS or combat related injuries that you would see within the special forces community. The reason that this all transpired is because myself, hence the name, the Jacks Act, I was going through a lot of issues with my TBI. I was injured a couple of times when I was in combat. I didn't realize that I had a TBI for quite a while. And then I got in, I was at a military school, so I was on orders and I got into a car accident as I was leaving my military school. T-bone, 45 miles an hour, the guy hits me, bashes my head into the windshield. And I realized at that point, that was like what we call the cumulative effect of all of these concussions along the way. So I had yeah. all these other concussions and we can dive into what a TBI is. It's more than just hitting your head. Like there's other things they've identified. Traumas can cause TBI. Sexual assault, which I've had, can cause TBI. Like all of these things were all built up car wreck happens and then it is a downward spiral for me medically like i can't short-term memory is garbage Mm. um depression anxiety foggy brain like all the things that are associated with you could pull up a tbi list i had so starting in 2019 because i got deployed i was at the tbi i actually started tbi treatment in 18 but then went to the uh, 
think of as launch stool. They have the TBI clinic out there, started going to TBI clinics, one after another, 19 happens. I come home, I'm in the Colorado Guard now, 2020 happens, I decide to leave SF right around 2020, 2021, and I go into a cyber protection unit, conventional guard unit, and I start filing all my paperwork. Because mm-hmm. I have all the paperwork, yeah, I have buddy letters, yeah. I have commander's letters, I have, you can see annotated when I got back from deployment that I had injured, like I fell off a wall, I had night vision goggles on, like all these other injuries. So fast forward to January of 2022. And, the, and also the guard is telling me, well, all of this, all of this documentation, even though you've gone to a TBI clinic, the doctors don't specifically say you have a TBI. Okay. Even though I've been in a TBI clinic, <laughs> I was like, so they're like the Colorado guard medical team goes, you need to go back. You have to get another evaluation. You have to go through the VA you have to go. I remember going back through my TBI evaluation with the doctor, Joe, remember Joe, don't remember his last name because I was so furious at him. I lost, I, I was it was demoralizing. Mm-hmm. And if, you, if you've gone through the process, going back through, answering those questions again as if they haven't even read your files, going back through that TBI eval for the fourth time ever because they won't look at my other evaluations and see you've got a TBI. I literally, I lost it on the doctor and I just started bawling. And I remember after that call, I was on the floor just crying for like 30 to 45 minutes because I felt so demoralized. This what happened in 2021 because I, the Colorado Guard said I had to go back through another evaluation. So I did it completely. Like it was such a bad day. One of my really close friends sent me flowers because it was so traumatizing. Submitted all that paperwork, did all the things. I've been in physical therapy January 2022. So a little over a year ago, I get an email from the Colorado Guard stating that there's basically, I, they don't have substantiating evidence that the TBI is combat related, even though I have all of the documentation, all the things I now have to go through a formal investigation to prove that my TBI is combat related. And I literally, I lost my mind. And at the time I was a board member for this organization, the special operations association of America, the founder, Daniel Elkins has developed this organization to help special forces operator at the congressional level, like get you in front of a like congressional leader. Well, up to this point, I had been working with Crow's office, who is the congressman out of um, Colorado and working with them to get this line of duty approved. Well, when this happened, I took that email. I, I hit forward. I sent it to Daniel Elkins and I'm like, this is what is happening. Like I, I literally was losing my mind. Yeah. Now I'm going through a formal investigation. You know, what's crazy too is people forget like, when you go under the microscope, as far as answering these questions and going through a sheet, it's an uncomfortable experience just Extremely. to talk to this random person yeah. who doesn't know anything about the space or where you've been or what you've done. You just got some random guy and you're like, all right, this is what's going on. And it's, it's a very uncomfortable just to do that once. That's enough. Like, yeah. and it's hard, like it's tough for guys, for anyone to do, yeah. to do that multiple times and then not get it accredited for like what's the point then like where right. where do you draw the line do you need a hundred i don't know do you have to go do you need to take the person out there with you so uh, that's insane that is that is wild but i'm glad that i want to say i'm glad that any of that crap happened because it should not be happening right. to anyone 
especially our service members, where you look where the where all the money is going and where our focus is, where how much time and energy is put towards all these different things, whatever, pick it. But then you look at the military community and you see like, hey, like these people are putting themselves out here for us. Maybe we right. should try to take care of them. <laughs> so then, uh, this is insane to me. So then you have 310 women that now we're trying to, through SOA, you get this bill passed to say, hey, this is, everything should be accredited. These, these women, they did things. Yeah. It's there. The proof is here. Let's just fix this problem and let's move on with it. So, yeah. so now the light is shown on yeah. the Jacks Act, right? Where we're at. Yeah. So that all trans, how that happened is we met with, so January was the email. Uh-huh. November, I remember it like it was a Thursday and I met Julia, who is a, um, what would you call her? An aide or a staffer for Congressman ISIS office. Uh-huh. I met, we met with her because of our current executive director, David Cook called me up and said, Hey, I want you to meet with Julia in this congressman's office that I used to uh, volunteer work for. Can you come and meet us? And I drove to Roslyn, sat down, talked to her, told her what was going on. And I remember Dave even asked me before I met her, he said, how many of these, how many women have like, are actually having the same issue? Yeah. And I'm like, I think a better question would be how many are not, because there's going to be smaller number of the women that have sex successfully gone through the VA process versus the other way around. And that was even an eye opening for Dave. So when I sat with Julian up to this point, I had shared this story with so many different like congressional aides and people, but it was Julia who heard the story and she was a civilian and, but it resonated so much with her. She's like, the change needs to happen. We need to make this happen and we need to do a congressional bill. So that's happened in November. I honestly didn't think it was going to happen, yeah. Andrew. I, I told Dave, I was like, eh, I'm like cautiously optimistic. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Like, Thank whatever. you, Julia, by the way. That's awesome. But it's <laughs> yeah. like, mm, I know. So how many, many times have you been like, let down? How yeah, many times you're time. like, no point yeah. in getting your hopes up again. Uh, You've been burned too much at this yeah. point. So then fast forward, December, we have this like Christmas event that we go to every year. And I'm meeting Congressman Issa for the first time. I meet him. And I just remember being told at that point in time, they were going to push forward on this bill. They believed in it. And then that's when they told me they were going to name it the Jacks Act. And I like, I remember there was like, I just started crying because I'm like, I didn't, it wasn't about me. I mean, initially, yes, I was, I was furious and pissed <laughs> and I wanted things to change. But when I saw that there could actually be an effect to impact all of the CSTs, that's all I cared about because I knew I there were so many more women that mm -hmm. I knew firsthand were battling similar issues that this bill would help change their life. And maybe, maybe had the Jacks Act been around in 2018, maybe I wouldn't have gone homeless or maybe all of those things would not have happened to me. And I'm just hoping that through this bill, we can prevent a, a CST feeling alone or feeling suicidal suicidal because now they have the power to write the narrative for themselves when they walk into the VA. Yeah. I mean, thank God you're the spark that, you know, you talk about having your name on it and, you know, it's not about you, right? It's the deed is all not the glory, right? So, you know, just to help one person, I think would, you know, what that does for your soul and like, come on, like, I don't see, I don't know how anyone would be like, no, let's not help let's not help anyone out. It's such a small finite number in the grand scheme of things too. You know what I mean? It's just a no brainer. Right. I don't get it. It's like, there's a disconnect there as far <laughs> as 
Like this just makes sense. It's not, this isn't wild. It's not, we're not asking for something crazy. No, 310. So this isn't this, like, first of all, it's not the whole military, No, but yes, we should be taking care of the whole military. That's a whole nother issue. This <laughs> yeah. is just a small piece. Yeah. Like, yeah, okay, we can do this. There's no problem. Yeah. You would think it would be pretty easy to pass and it is bipartisan and it, it was presented to the Senate just last week and it's getting like the senators, congressional leaders, they're on board. But get yeah. this, the VA, I was told by Congressman Issa a couple weeks ago, the VA pushed back and they want to deny the bill and love why. The reason <laughs> he told me, he said they want to deny the bill because it's going to cost them money. And I'm like, yeah. And he went, no. It's not going to cost them money because what they're saying to me when they say, if we pass this bill, it's going to cost us money is that they're saying they don't think that all 310 women deserve disability. But if they did, and like you said, if they're, they were doing their mission, which is to take care of our veterans, when we signed on that paper to put our life before our country, mm -hmm. now it's your responsibility to take care of us. And by saying, if we pass this, now we're going to have to commit to just 310 women to possibly give them all disability and to say that's going to cost us money. You should already be doing your job. You should already have that money allotted and set aside knowing that we might possibly have a disability knowing that we were in, in combat. <laughs> I'm going to have to laugh because this is insane. Mind blown. Isn't that wild? It is wild. No, when he told me that, I just stood there and I'm like, I didn't think about it that way. But he's, it's a valid. And so he told me, he's like, it's not a big deal. If they want to push back, that's fine. We'll just circumvent and do, put it into the NDAA. Like this bill is going to happen. But my goal from the JAXA Act is to have a rippling effect because it's not just the CSTs that this happens to from the female lens of just being a woman in the military. This happens to so many veterans, but even more so female veterans. And as the tides change and as we start to see more females going into these combat roles, we're going to start seeing more of these issues of these women coming forward and having similar injuries of our males. And they're going to get discounted. They're going to get marginalized. And how are we going to address that? We can't like and I presented this actually to a roundtable a, a little over a month ago with the VA sitting there. That's another situation. But I. <laughs> they're like mean glaring, mean oh, yeah, you across the table. Like, mm, we don't like you. Thankfully, they're right next to me, but I bet they were, if they could, they were mean mugging me. I love it. But the recommendation I provided to them is that going forward, we need to provide a combat identifier, identifier of some sort for women that have been in combat, that have deployed to certain combat zones. Cause not all, not all deployments are the same as we know, like Kuwait versus Iraq. So really defining when they walk in, they have this identifier that takes the power again away from the VA because they seem to not be educated enough to know when they're looking at paperwork to know this person was in this place at this time, they were probably in combat. So we probably need to look at this this way. Instead, we put them into a group by having an identifier. So when they walk in, they know, hey, I've got identifier 356, which means I was in a combat zone during this time. So I have these preemptive probably preemptive um, injuries. Right. So I know, cause you can look, whether you agree with, you know, certain support personnel being in situations or not, or certain areas or not. The fact of the matter is that when you have a group of people that go to a spot or go do something, that's it. Like you were there, check, you did it, check. That's it. Move on. Right. That's right. It. It's simple. Right. It should be. 
<laughs> I don't understand. Were you exposed to X, Y, Z? Yes, I was. Did you do this? Yes, I was. Okay. That's okay. great. Thanks for telling me. You trust me, like, the veteran and then you move on. Is there, Will there be veterans that will lie, deceive? There'll be veterans. There'll be, unfortunately, there's going to be CSTs that probably went through the program and never deployed that may try to use the JAX Act. It happens. But we've got to do better. The VA, we've got to do better with trusting our veterans, with giving them the benefit of the doubt and having their back versus the other way around, which I feel like we have to, we walk in and we're automatically, you know, you go to school, you automatically have an A and then it drops to an F. It's like you walk in, you automatically have an F and you have to figure out how to get to an A and get that disability. And I, I don't know what, why it went that way mm-hmm. and why it's still operating that way. And how can we make the VA change to better support our veterans? And people don't know too. They like, they'll say, well, I thought veterans could go to outside doctors and we can. However, when you bring those disability claims to the VA, the VA still has to, you still have to go through a disability process mm-hmm. through the VA. So even though like me, I went through t- TBI clinics and I had all this TBI do- paperwork. The VA still had to do their own evaluation and to prove. And I'm about to start my actual disability process again. And I thankfully have a nonprofit that reached out to me that's going to take care of me because they've got attorneys. They've got an entire support team. And that's so sad that veterans have to have <laughs> an entire team to get your disability. An attorney, you <sighs> have to have attorneys nowadays I know a CST that is fighting for her disability today. She was injured as a CST. And I think the number that they, they, one of the CSTs told me was either ten dollars to $15,000 in attorney fees. And she still doesn't have her disability. That's insane. I mean, yes. That's insane. Yeah. yeah. Okay. The VAs, like, I'm sure there's good people there. They want to help. They need to help. But what they have in place now and the system that is there is not doing its job. So it's just reevaluating and figuring out ways to do what's right. And now talk about hating the system and getting burned by the system is now you need an attorney. Like now we're going legal ways. <laughs> yeah. like, people are like F this. I'm, I don't give a crap anymore. I did my time. I'm over it. I don't even care. And then just vanish. Yeah, they do. I know a lot of veterans that like, just, and we say the veteran community even says, I, we think we, they make it hard. So we'll give up and walk away. Cause there's a lot of veterans that will, that'll just give up and say, it's just not worth it. I'm not even going to worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just make it really hard. That'll really solve this money problem. They will right. give up, man. We'll yeah. win. Come and I don't on. know how well, accurate that true, is. Yeah. I do hope that's not true, but it's hard not to feel like that's what's happening Yeah. when the typical pattern is, like we, the veteran, we have a joke. Like we, I just talked to a guy a couple of days ago on how to hack the system on how to start my disability. Cause there's all these hacks. There's all these things like you have to go in looking a certain way because if I look like I'm put together, they're going to, Oh, well she's probably not walk that. in, close one eye. And then like, I don't know, don't start shave. like shaking your head a little yeah. bit. Don't shave for a while. Come in with dirty clothes. Like come on, there's websites that you can Google that tell you how you should look when you walk in, because that's because they automatically assume if you're put together, then you must not have depression or anxiety. Yeah, you can't have any any internal issues or any problems going on. Well then, you know what? (laughs) So now the V, okay. So now they should realize, can't they just look and be like, hey, we created this beast. Why do we need people to lie? Now we're creating, now we're creating a system that encourages lying instead of telling the truth, finding real problems and fixing those. Now it's a whole nother issue. 
let's get rid of all of it. Let's just revamp the whole damn. I like this is too far gone. I think it's too far yeah. gone. It's insane. Yeah, what I, I've thought about that. I know things that keep you up at night. I've actually thought about how do you change a culture that is that far gone? Like you can't just fire everybody in the VA and start over. So it's going to have to be small changes. It's going to be changes we probably won't even see in our time. It's going to take 20 years, a new generation to go through. But we've got to start making those changes now. And what does that look like? Because it, it is a shift. It's a cultural shift. It's an yeah. understanding shift. It's understanding the warfare that we're in versus the warfare of Vietnam and World War II yeah. and the different injuries that we're going to see now. You're not going to have, you're going to have Agent Orange, but those are guys from like that are, you know, in their 70s and 80s. Mm-hmm. What about the current generation that just spent 20 years in a war and now we have moral injuries from it because of how we left Afghanistan? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. what do you, I'm curious, what do you do to help you not, because there is so, you could, have, I don't own a TV, I haven't in over 20 years, but what do you do to That's help you, ass. like, yeah, because it's so cool. easy to consume all this yeah. negative information. I think that's also hard on on veterans, especially if you've been to combat and you see what's happening in Ukraine. It's it can be hard. It is. And then I don't know. So like for me, like I, I struggle with as far as like uh, connecting and like staying like I, I do because, you know, so you have a phone you have a computer in front of your face. So I'll put the kids down. Thank God that's a good distractor. Right. My kids and I love them. It's easier. I will go outside. I can put the phone down and play with them and laugh. That's like a good reset for me. And it forces me to get away from That's good. me getting in my head because it's so easy, especially for, uh, for any, like for anyone. Right. But even for vets, like you kind of know the system, you're kind of exposed mm-hmm. to certain things, how things work, what it, what it should look like. Yeah. And then you see these things, you're like, what is going on? This mm-hmm. is just wild. So, you know, I have that. And then, you know, if I have a chance to escape, which is hard because I have kids, we're about to have our fourth. Oh my gosh. I know, we're living it, man. They're so cute. That's, we're going to have like a hundred. My wife's like, this is the last one. I'm like, okay. Basketball team. Yeah. Need one more. Yeah. They're the best. So like the family is like my biggest pool. Like that is, that is my anchor. Like That's if great. I had my wife and kids, I don't yeah. know. I would like, if I didn't have them, yeah. I, I have no idea where I would have ended up or yeah. what job I would be pursuing right now. Or like, what would I be doing? I have no idea. That's awesome. That means you have a good, healthy relationship and it helps stabilize you and balance you. Yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah, I mean, well, what was, what was taking its toll was the military lifestyle for the, for the training trips, the deployments when I was there, was I there? Like yeah. that was like a whole nother thing. Having multiple kids during this process and my wife sticking by me the whole time. Like she's a saint, right? She's like, she's been there. So like dealing with that, like at a, at a point I was like, holy crap, something's got to give here and it's not going to be my family. So I'm going to make the shift. So then I shifted out from active duty and now I'm over here doing my thing. But, um, a lot of guys don't see that though. Mm -hmm. Cause like I said, like you work so hard to get there, whatever it is, like, and you want it, like you, you worked for it so hard. Like it's such a tough balance. It is a really, and I still see guys sacrifice their family for their military career and inevitably it, it crushes their family. And then at the end, and I, I've seen this too, they do their 20 plus years and they're super successful in that, that area and they come out and they're not close to their kids and they have an identity crisis too. Cause I think too, the family helps stabilize that but when you come out and you've given all you, you know, devoted all of your time into that career and you see it mostly more so in my opinion in the special operations community, because 
what'll happen is if you're in conventional forces, you move every two years. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah. Not in, not in the SOCOM, like special operations community. You stay there, you're there and you could be at that unit for 15, 20 plus years. You don't, yeah. you don't move because yeah. that's your, that's your area of expertise. That's whatever unit you're in. That's where you're at. That I think makes the identity crisis even harder. Cause when you're done, you then realize your team might miss you, but you're a number. You yeah. ultimately are a number in the military. They will move on without you. The mission will proceed forward. And in time, they will replace you. It is how the military has to operate. And I think that's also a hard thing because that was your identity for so long. Yeah. You've lost your family because you didn't put them first in a way. And now you're like, what do, where, where am I now? And Where if am you, I and who am I? Like, yeah. Yeah, I? I'm not as cool, as important as I thought, maybe. Right. Most civilians don't know what a green beret is. Yeah. They don't care either. Yeah. Welcome yeah, to the world. Yeah. Let's just chase money and yeah. fast cars, fast women, some whatever beach house, pick your poison. Yeah. Chase that. Don't chase like, and then think about what we did is so most of the time, not every, every person, but it's such a selfless act to put like, Hey, I'm going to go join the military and be rich said no one. Right. I'm going to go, <laughs> yeah, like, no, on. I'm going to go do this so I can make an impact and, yeah. and make people's lives better and support a greater cause of myself and be a part of a brotherhood or a sisterhood. That's the pool is cause like, yeah. it's so important. And then, you know, the regular world is like, how do I get rich and how do I burn people and be selfish? You know, yeah. like, Ooh, what? Like that is, ladder. exactly like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a wild, it's wild, wild, wild. That brings up a good point, though. Another area where you have a crisis that I notice is when you leave the military, you have a community, a family. And when you go into the civilian world, it's not like that. The minds are not built the same way. They're not there about like mission first community. You're literally there and your your team will come in and do your nine to five and they leave. Mm -hmm. You might get lucky to have a couple of high achievers on your team, depending on how you're built. And they may say they may pull a little bit of extra hours, but a lot of times it's self-centered work. It's not for the greater mission. It's not for a community. You're not. Um, I think what's so unique about the military is we have a lot of suck environments like their boot camp sucks. Selections <laughs> suck. That was great. Um, Come on, yeah, like different deployments <laughs> suck. But you grow together because yeah. of the suck environment. And you're like, you don't have that in the civilian sector. Mm. I mean. The hardest some some of these people have ever experienced what might be like juggling like a full time job with school at the same time. And I'm not discounting like childhood traumas and things like that, but there's just something about the military. And I think a lot of people go into the military too, come from trauma, have some trauma in their life, especially in the special forces community. I mean, yeah. We're just like we, yeah. The All CST the problems. Like, uh, like, uh, they should do that for the interview <laughs> process for any selection yeah. for soft. Like, yeah. How, how do you have a lot of problems and issues going on? Yes, I do. <laughs> we want you. Come on, let's. Yeah. You're getting, you like crazy yeah. shit. Let's go. We'll get you there. <laughs> yeah, we we make a joke as the CSTs. Like, you know, most of us probably were not <laughs> mentally like yeah, like all about like most of us weren't married. Some of us were, but very few were married. But most of us had some sort of traumas. We weren't like completely right in the head and we're like yeah of course we want to sign up to get shot at and go like like normal people <laughs> yeah, something's <laughs> off here yeah yeah you're right something's wrong yeah but it it's necessary to have those people too you know we like yeah it's, it's awesome that there's people like that so that are willing to raise their hand and be like yeah sign me up and then i want to try out not only did i join the military but then i want to go another 
step further and go through another selection process with a high, high probability, probably 100% probability I'm going to get shot at. Yes, that sounds amazing. Let's do that. (laughs) Do you guys have some really good food? Like, yeah, we got MREs. Yeah. Oh, this is going to be worth it. I love it. Yeah. Well, no, that's kudos to to everything that you've done. And and like I said earlier, it's such a testament and, and, you know, to your character and all, all the CSTs and, you know, what they've gone through and, you know, what they're dealing with now. Hopefully it's not as dark as a path as, you know, some have traveled and let's hope that the Jacks Act, um, you know, kind of paves the way and shines light for them. Um, And let's hope that, I'm not going to say the world's going to correct itself because it's not right. All the issues we have, but I think, you know, just throwing one piece in there, that's going to make the world better. I think it's, it's going to get us going in the right direction. We'll just take it one day at a time and um, we'll just, we'll just keep changing the world. Right. Yeah. I love it. I love it, Andrew. Yes. Well, cool. Jax. Thanks. Thanks for coming on. And then as far as, um, you know, reaching out to you or getting a hold of you, um, is there a way to connect with you, whether it's on some social platform or whatever you prefer. Um, let's get that out there so people can, you know, find you and, you know, join your community and support a cause too. So easiest way is I have a link tree. If anybody knows link tree, it's outpost gray. Um, otherwise I am jacks.me. You can find me there. Pretty easy. That is easy. Yeah. Thanks for keeping it simple. <laughs> yeah. You know how people are short term memories. <laughs> Sorry. What simple. was that? I forgot. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, had to, I had to do it. So like a dad joke. Well, cool. Thanks, Jax. Thanks for your time. And Absolutely. Uh, thanks, Andrew. Keep killing it. Appreciate it. Cool. Cheers. Civvies is proudly brought to you by producer and sponsor MetroStar, a global digital services and solutions provider. Life transitions are hard without the pressure of finding a new job. Veterans at MetroStar have built a close-knit group within the organization and are eager to help you on your new path. To explore career opportunities and life at MetroStar, visit metrostar.com slash veterans. We'll link that and other career pages in the show notes. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of Civvies, presented by MetroStar. If you want to learn more about Civvies or MetroStar, just want to reach out. Check out the links in the description. I'll catch y'all on the next one.